Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. My name is J.J. Jackson, and it's so great to have you here with us on this Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. Hope that everyone is doing well and that you had a very enjoyable Memorial Day weekend, enjoying some time with friends and family. On today's show, really excited to talk about everything that's going on in the life of Duke Athletics. We've got some Duke basketball news and notes to catch you up on. Also want to take a look at Duke baseball getting set for the NCAA Regionals this upcoming weekend. Tip of the cap to uh, John Donowski and the Duke Men's Lacrosse Club uh, for their fight all the way to the national championship game. Unfortunately for the Blue Devils, they ended five goals shy of a national title, losing 13-9 to against Notre Dame. So we've got a lot to discuss here on today's show. And again, thank you so much for watching us on YouTube each and every day, supporting us there and on our podcast platform as well. So let's bring on my good pal Connor O'Neill from Devils Illustrated here with us once again. Connor, appreciate the time as always. How are you doing, my friend? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm, it's, uh, it's settling in that I have to watch Caleb Love play basketball in person one more time. I thought I had dodged that bullet, but uh, with, with today's news, um, no dice. Yeah. How about that news? So Caleb Love is transferring to Arizona and people are like, wait a minute, Connor, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> oh yeah, there's a game set to be played between Duke and Arizona, right? Yeah, it'll be uh, November 10th is the date that they put out in the release when it came last year. I don't. Sometimes those days get moved. It just depends on what the calendar dictates. Um, November 10th feels really early in the season. Like that feels like it would be a, a first game type date uh, or maybe second. So we'll see if November 10th is actually the day that game gets played. But um, sometime in November, Arizona will come to Durham. Uh, Caleb Love now included in that Arizona chat. Um, I, I will profess I do not know much about Arizona's roster otherwise. I know that they lost their point guard. I think he's in the West Virginia boat, um, guys that they've gathered uh, in the last couple months for what seems like Huggy Bears last season. But, um, but yeah, uh, Arizona comes to Duke, and then Duke goes to Arizona in the, what would that be, the 24-25 season. Uh, I think that – you know, um, I think that's a great thing for Duke that they're going out to Arizona. I always, when, when opposing fans always bring up how, uh, Duke never plays true road games. I always think like, well, that's to Duke's, uh, detraction like that, that hurts Duke. Cause I always think Duke is at a little bit of a disadvantage when they go play their first ACC road game. Um, and they're not used to seeing that environment and that kind of crowd. So, but I digress. Um, that home and home series with Arizona starts this year and it starts in Durham. And uh, that means Caleb Love is, is coming back to town. And he's had his fair share of good moments and uh, tough moments there inside Cameron Indoor Stadium as of late, more on the tough end of things, which Duke is certainly uh, okay with when he is an opponent playing against the Duke Blue Devils. And then that home and home perspective, not something that we saw in Coach K's tenure as Duke men's basketball coach, but I'm really excited to see some of these big matchups being played at Cameron, and then also for this Duke team to have to go be tested elsewhere in other tough venues across the country. 
Yeah, like I get it. You're you're Duke. Um, the brand speaks for itself. Uh, you don't have to go play at somebody else's place to get a quad one opportunity. You can go play in Madison Square Garden once a year. You play in the Champions Classic, and you're going to get those quad one deals uh, without having to go on the road, take the show on the road per se. But like I said, I I just from from the outside for years, and then now being on the beat and, and covering Duke. Uh, I go to Duke's first road game um, in with with the team that went to the Final Four a year and a half ago at Ohio State. They were overmatched against an Ohio State team that wasn't really that good uh, talent wise. Like that, that was not a matchup that Duke should have been on the wrong end of. Um, you go this year. I think their first road game was the Wake Forest game, where yeah, they were missing Derek and and Derek Lively in that game, and that played a huge factor but also that that was that was a pre-christmas game when wake didn't even have students there (laughs) and and duke was lethargic and not really didn't really come out with much energy and there are a lot of other factors there but i'll i I go back to in that first road game of the year for duke it, it rarely goes well it feels like and i think part of that is you know you if you don't play a road game for the first month to month and a half of the season uh, you're only setting yourself up for failure in the first one when it when it actually comes. And more often than not, that first road game winds up being an ACC game. And the ACC games are more important than your non-conference games, which I think we can all agree on. That's a game that you want to be prepared for. No doubt. And I certainly have loved some of those big atmospheres that Duke has played in as part of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Now we've got the SEC Challenge set to get started this season. So we'll have new venues uh, that Duke can go and compete in. I'd be curious for folks watching the show or listening uh, to let us know what are some of their favorite Duke moments on the road in non-conference games over the last few seasons. Because, Connor, one that comes to mind for me easily is that 2015 National Championship season. A lot of people want to talk about that Duke and Wisconsin game in the Final Four, but what's often forgotten about is, or, or excuse me, the National Championship game, but what's often forgotten about is that Duke went up to uh, Madison to play the Badgers a little bit earlier in the season. There was a big Justice Winslow dunk late that kind of puncturized the uh, the, the, the win for the Blue Devils. And so, uh, yeah, really excited to, to kind of see some of those big matchups in the future. Yeah, having to have uh, Ken Palm popped open here. So okay. just, just checking it. Yeah, Tyus Jones had 22 that game. Uh, Rashid Suleiman had 14, so I can see why. Wisconsin would be a little perturbed about losing the national championship game with a, with a missing X factor like that. <laughs> um, Grayson didn't play. I know it, it was. <laughs> How it was about that? Missed. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, only eight minutes for Marshall Plumley. Um, Cause that was, was that the year that Emil got hurt or was that the following year? I believe it was the following year. The following year. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Man, Tyus Jones, uh, what a nice player. 22 points, uh, was 7 for 11 from the field, 6 for 8 from the free throw line with 6 rebounds, 4 assists, and 1 turnover. Just, yeah. Everything he won in a college point guard was, was Tyus Jones. And I know I know that the plan was probably not for him to be a one-and-done, and he was so good that he, you know, that decision felt right. like wound up getting made for him. But – Man, what a what an excellent year he had. Uh, it often gets overlooked because Jaleel Okafor 
got all the accolades. Justice Winslow, I think, was a higher draft pick and and was kind of more projectable in the NBA. But yeah, I, I always I always come away from looking at that team saying, what a what a player Tyus Jones was. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk more about uh, this Duke basketball team next year. And again, I do want to hear from folks in the comments down below. What are some of the uh, non-conference games that you love and love thinking back on for Duke basketball? But let's first take our first break here on today's show. Lockdown Blue Devils here today is brought to you by our friends over at Built Bar. Are you looking for a delicious snack but don't want all the sugar and calories? Then you need the best tasting protein bar ever. Built, you got to try this. If you're like me and you don't want to, or you want the healthier snack choices, but don't want to compromise on taste, sometimes you really struggle to find something that fits that criteria. Well, I'll tell you what does. Built Bar, they're healthy and they taste amazing. You won't believe it, but they are covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and uh, and cookies and cream, 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. You can go to Built.com and order online or by visiting your local Walmart or Sam's Club where they've got some specialty flavors available for you. Again, Built Bar, a proud sponsor of the Lockdown Blue Devils podcast. Welcome back into Lockdown Blue Devils. JJ Jackson alongside Connor O'Neill from Devils Illustrated here on Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. We're exiting Memorial Day weekend. Tell me what kind of content you've got up on your website right now, Connor. Got a lot of baseball up there now. Um, I did just drop a, a basketball nugget on the on the insider board, but um, reading-wise, uh, got some baseball coverage and got more coming. Um, it's, it's that time of year when, uh, when we fill the website with baseball content and uh, Duke is back in the NCAA tournament. It was only a one-year hiatus, but feels like a lot longer because they missed the NCAA. They missed the ACC tournament last year. You have to be one of the two worst teams in the league to, to be left out of the ACC tournament. And so I've got some stuff in the cooker um, kind of explaining like there, there had to be some assessment of what went wrong and what needed to change in the program for Chris Pollard and, uh, that'll be up in the next couple of days. We've got some coverage from from Durham um, from last week up there now. So let's definitely talk about the Stuke basketball team, uh, but we'll hold that for a little bit later. I was going to say baseball for later, but you've already <laughs> opened it up. And I'm certainly excited about the postseason ahead here, looking at the NCAA tournament fields that were announced. Uh, you know, we're now in this format, Connor, where – Uh, Looking back over the weekend on Sunday, right, we know who the 16 national hosts are going to be. And then you have to wait until Tuesday to figure out, okay, where exactly are you going, as opposed to all 64 being revealed at once. So Duke ultimately uh, finds out on Sunday that they will not be an NCAA regional host, and yet they're going to be starting on the road. Monday's selection show came around, and what did we find out about that Duke baseball team? Found out Duke is headed to Myrtle Beach. Okay. Uh, what a great time to go to Myrtle Beach, right? No doubt. Graduations happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Duke is headed, well, not technically Conway, South Carolina, uh, a couple of miles north of, of the actual strip there. Uh, Coastal Carolina has a great program. That's where Duke is headed. Uh, Coastal is the one seed. Duke is the two seed. Duke will play UNC Wilmington, the three seed, in Friday afternoon's opening game of the regional. Uh, and the four seed is Ryder. 
So little little caveat here is um, two teams from the Carolinas. Duke did not play either one of them this year, even though college baseball team schedules are really geographical and regional. Uh, Duke did play the team from Jersey twice this year. Uh, Ryder came down a few weeks back and split with Duke in a midweek two-game series. Uh, I think Ryder won the first game maybe two to one, and Duke won the second game four to three. So Duke has some some familiarity if they wind up seeing the four seed Ryder. Um, this double elimination format when four teams get in it, chaos can ensue. Um, it it only if you win your first three games, uh, you win the region. I think is the way it works. Uh, or you could play as many as five games if you lose one of the first two and then win out. So it's it's a fun format. Uh, what what everybody what I, what I stress to people when we're getting into college baseball postseason and you have some fans that are more accustomed to college football and college basketball. There's room for error in college baseball's postseason. You can drop a game. Um, when maybe you don't have your best pitchers available because they just threw on the day before, this is going to be the case for Duke because Duke has a lot of pitchers that don't eat a lot of innings. Uh, they have they have pitching depth. They don't have pitching length. So basically every game is a bullpen game for Duke. And uh, you could wind up seeing, you know, some some guys with some inflated ERAs in there in a game that you think they should be trying really, really hard to win. Uh, and they're trying to scrape by without using their their best guys because uh, they need their best guys to be available for the next game. Uh, scenarios like that pop up that that I would just I would I would kind of caution people against uh, the overreactions. In a lot of ways, in when you get into the regional setting, right? As you said, you, you've got to win the region. There is um, the you have the luxury of knowing, okay, if we lose the first game, the season's not over. We can continue playing um, and just go to the loser's bracket and try to work our way out of there. You get to the championship day, you got to beat the winner's bracket team twice. So with that being said, oftentimes when you've got sort of a bullpen makeup, you feel a little bit better because it's not putting as much pressure onto your one dynamic arm, right? In college baseball, if you feel amazing – about the number one pitcher on your staff. Take LSU, for example, with Paul Skeens, who's likely to be a top pick in this year's Major League Baseball draft. If you don't win that game, then it feels like there's so much more pressure on those games to win non-ace starts, if that makes sense. And so, I mean, is this something, Connor, that has kind of been the case for Duke this entire season that they have felt really good about multiple different arms getting the job done? Yeah, I mean, this... This Duke team, I, I'm I'm kind of blown away. They have the pitching to get them to this point. Uh, they entered fall with two starting pitchers they felt great about, Luke Fox and Jonathan Santucci. They lost Fox in the fall. Um, so they went into the year basically with one starter they knew was, was a proven commodity, was going to give them five, six, seven innings every Friday night. But they lost him on the last day of March. So they go into April with basically – question mark, question mark, question mark at every weekend rotation spot. And in April, I think they went 16 and three and played three teams that were in the top 10 and back to back to back weekends uh, with Louisville, Virginia, and BC. I might have the the order there mixed up, but um, 
and they won all three of those series. Uh, Virginia is a top eight seed, and Duke went up there and took two of three from them in their home ballpark. So it's it's a Duke team that really found their way through the adversity of losing starting pitchers and through the kind of uncertainty of <laughs> basically uh, you know giving the ball to a pitcher to start a game and being happy if they get to the fifth inning, um, kind of kind of being happy if they get to the to the fourth inning with the ball <laughs> still in their hand. It's it's crazy and it's also crazy to me because. As probably most of your listeners know, I, I covered Duke and Wake Forest. Wake Forest is the complete opposite. Wake Forest has gone through the year with three starting pitchers that were all first team a, all ACC. Like they they've got the pitching, they've got the luxury. Uh, I've I've joked with with people across sports about how Duke and Wake can work out trades based on what I know of each roster. And uh, yeah, that would be the ultimate team if you could put them together. <laughs> I, I think Duke would have worked out a, a package at a trade deadline to acquire one of Wake's starting pitchers and being even better than, than they wound up. Um, but but yeah, it's it's been a, a fun team to watch from afar. I've gotten them to see them a few times up close. Um, I actually got to go to the selection show yesterday, which you know I've I've done a high variance of, of cool things in, in this profession. I've never been to a selection show uh, and watched a team react to seeing their name pop up. So that was really fun for me. Um, Duke, Duke was comfortably in the field. Like it, it wasn't as if they were on pins and needles. And if they didn't hear their name called uh, they were a bubble select, like they were in, but you could still feel that anticipation and, and kind of, feel the the fervor and uh, feel everybody kind of inch forward in their chairs uh, when they knew Duke could be coming up. And so it was really fun to, to get to experience that with them. What is it that we need to know about this offense for Duke? Ahead of the regional this weekend, a lot of big bats in the middle of the order that a lot of people want to uh, discuss and that sort of thing. But look, here's the name of the game. Score more runs than the other team. <laughs> Once you get to postseason play, how in the world, like, what does this offense look like? How can they get that done? The table setter is Alex Mooney at the top. He's a shortstop. He's, a, I believe, a sophomore, but maybe draft eligible. Um, he sets the table. When he gets on base, it uh, changes everything. Like, like most teams, when their leadoff man gets on base, they're a little bit more dynamic of an offense. It's a versatile offense. They, they score in a variety of ways. Uh, they can hurt you with the long ball. I think they've got the program record for homers in a season already. Um, they, they can crank them out, but they can also move runners. They can, they can run a little bit. Mooney, I think is in double digit steals. Um, Alex stone has their catcher has a 30 game hit streak. That's the longest of the Chris Pollard era, era, which is 11 years. I think it's five short of the program record right now is 35 games. So he's, I mean, 30-game hit streak, no matter what the level. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, everybody always wants to think of Joe DiMaggio in 56. Like, 30-game hit streak is barely halfway there. That's an incredible hit streak. That, that's just – that's having all kinds of luck and skill and rhythm and timing and everything that goes into hitting. Um, I, I have trouble wrapping my head around it. Um, so, he's got it going right now in the middle of the lineup. We'll have to see if MJ Metz is in the lineup. Uh, he's a transfer from, from a – I think it was a division three um he's been a big power bat in the middle of the order he did not play in the miami game uh the last game of the acc tournament and there's a little bit of an injury concern with him so we'll see if he's in the lineup on friday against uncw 
We'll take a look with the Stuke baseball team getting set for NCAA regionals and postseason play. If they win, they advance to the Super Regionals, which is a best out of three series. We saw Duke softball win the Durham Regional last weekend. Unfortunately, this weekend that just expired, uh, Duke lost that Super Regional at home to Stanford. So their season has come to a close, but we'll see what baseball has to do this weekend. And of course, our pal Connor O'Neill from Devils Illustrated will have all the latest in regards to that. One more break, and then we wrap up today's show here on Locked On Blue Devils. Thanks so much for always making us your first listen and first watch each and every day. Again, make sure you hit that subscribe button to our YouTube channel with Locked On Blue Devils to watch the show daily each and every day. Leave comments as you're watching the shows. I really do love reading through that, interacting with you all uh, for your continued support here with the program. Also, make sure you check out Locked On College Basketball with our good buddies Isaac Shade and Andy Patton. They're going to be reacting to the Caleb Love to Arizona news. They're also going to be breaking down the uh, transfer portal as, again, tomorrow, May 31st, the deadline for players to withdraw from the draft and to go back to college. A lot of big names could be on the move, and they're going to be discussing all of that on Locked On College Basketball. Final few moments here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils. J.J. Jackson alongside Connor O'Neill. Follow him on Twitter at Connor O'Neill underscore D-I. So in regards to Duke basketball, we've been kind of watching this 13th scholarship nonstop. It's what everyone is wanting to talk about, Connor. So that's where we're at right now. And again, as we said, with the deadline looming tomorrow, I mean, what's the latest? What's the big chatter out there that people want to talk about? Yeah, so I think last time I was on here, I was uh, all but certain it was going to be Ernest Suday Jr. Um, we were, you made I, us all feel all but certain, Connor. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was all but certain. Uh, I, I, I have sources that were all but certain. Yeah, you weren't uh, the only one. I, I led everybody down the path. Um, that obviously didn't happen. It's not going to happen. Um, I think that ship has sailed. It's starting to look like the roster is what it is, and it's going to be that uh, come come summer, come fall. Like it, that, this is the roster that Duke is going to have. Um, it's still a, a Final Four caliber roster. It, it's it's weird to it's weird to diagnose this because you go through an entire two months of saying, all right, Duke is going to find a rim protector. Duke needs a rim protector. Duke played so well when Derek Lively was at his best. Uh, this is this is the one hole of this roster. They have everything else with all the returning decisions. They had every every single hole was filled. Um, even the Jeremy Roach decision kind of felt like a luxury. Like they had guards, and then now you're going to get a fourth year guard back. Um, it's it's just not a roster that's going to have a defensive minded center uh, rim protector type, um, which. Again, like it's uh, it's a really good roster. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how John uh, approaches things without that that kind of the bullet to to use there. Um, so you'll see Christian Reeves at the five. You'll see Ryan Young at the five. Probably start, uh, and you'll see Flip play the five. And that's the part of it that intrigues me the most because I think. Flip knows, and I think the word from the NBA is that Flip needs to be able to play the five to be a high draft pick. 
to justify a team taking him in the lottery. They have to know that he can play the five and the four. Um, so you would think if, if that's what he needs to do to be in the NBA, that's what he will want to do. And that's what he'll want to become good at uh, in what you figure would be his final college season. We will see then, of course, uh, if any major changes take place with this roster. Of course, as you said, we were so uh, so closely following that Ernest Uday Jr. situation. We got the photos on Instagram that uh, <laughs> Ernest posted of him from the official visit wearing the jersey. So it just makes the mouth water a little bit as a Duke basketball fan that something could be looming. But hey, now here's this 13th scholarship that gives John Shire and his coaching staff the opportunity to reward a walk-on potentially with said scholarship if no movement is set to take place. And I think it is important to circle back to what you just mentioned a moment ago. Even without adding anyone, this Duke roster is really, really talented going into next season. Yeah, and, you know, even even last year early in the year and a couple points in ACC games, we saw Mark Mitchell play the five in a, in a small lineup. Um Sean Stewart might be able to play some five. They've got to get him on campus and see what he looks like in that role. Um, they're going to have options. Uh, they're just not going to have the one designated option, right? Um, it, it's it's going to be really fun to watch. It's going to be really interesting. Um, I, I hadn't thought of that 13 scholarship going to a walk-on until you mentioned it, but now I'm kind of crossing my fingers for uh, Spencer Hubbard. He's a great guy to interact with in the locker room. Um, I wrote a story about him going into last year about uh, basically Chris Carowell shouting him out for Mark Williams' improvement uh, on the perimeter defensively and uh, basically got to know about Spencer and Mark's (laughs) relationship. And they play video games together all the time and live together, I think. So, yeah, um, it's a – like we said, it's it's still a Final Four caliber roster. It's still, you know, if you're into preseason rankings, it's still preseason number one, maybe two, maybe three. I uh, can't see them falling much further than that with what they have coming back. Um, it's, it's a really good team. So then just looking at this timeline again, Connor, I think what's exciting for Duke fans and college basketball fans as a whole, right, is that, okay, here we are. We are getting to the point where – answers are here for us with May 31st tomorrow being that deadline for players to withdraw. And then with June 1st being the new day granted by the NCAA uh, for division one men's basketball teams to start practice and to get out there on the floor, we've got this new foreign tour era of college basketball where every few years teams get to go and face international competition and it won't be long before Duke gets to jump back into that boat here again. So uh, point here being this week, we're going to start to see more uh, at the Duke socials. will probably be getting back to work with guys starting to get back on campus and into the gym and that sort of thing. Yeah. You'll start to see the freshmen showing up. Uh, that, that's a, that's the part that I look forward to every year. It, it feels like you always hear these things about, you know, I, I know Duke has four or five stars coming in. Um, not every five star was created equal and not every five star is prepared for the college game. Like all the other five stars that you see uh, across college basketball. So that's, that's what I look forward to the most is, is hearing kind of, you know, maybe Caleb Foster is, is that much more prepared than we thought he was going to be playing 
two years at Oak Hill and then one year, um, where was he, Notre Dame uh, out in California this year, I think was the school he was at. And he was the California player of the year out there. That that's one to keep an eye. Like that kind of stuff is is what I start gearing up for at this time of year. Connor, certainly do appreciate the time as always. Thank you so much for uh, your insight, your time each and every time you come here on the program, and I look forward to doing it again soon. Okay. Thanks, JJ. All right, that's our pal Connor O'Neill from Devils Illustrated. Go support him and his work. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks so much for watching us or listening to us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for your continued support here of Lockdown Blue Devils. That'll do it for today's show. As always, go do. I'll talk to you tomorrow. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you, and good day.